Hello there, my name is Brad, and I remember uh, my wife and I, Pat, Quality of Life Grace Teaching Ministries, we are on Facebook. We are available for you there if you're over there and looking for Grace Teaching. Come on over and subscribe and join us today. We uh, want to just thank you for being the most important person here. Without you, we cannot teach, and we learn so we can teach. We teach so we can learn. Easter, the Easter message is what we're calling this. You know, Good Friday, we know that the new covenant is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He died for us so he could give his life to us, so he could transmit his life through us. And so this message, this Easter message, of course, is all about the gospel. And where is the gospel in the scriptures? Well, the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4, he says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures, and he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and so that is what Easter is all about and so we want to talk about of course Good Friday that's where it all begins Good Friday the greatest day in history you know Jesus was flogged and scourged 39 times in fact whipping a person 39 times was the standard practice in the New Testament times flogged it it actually means whipping or to be whipped lashing and beating the human body with special implements such as whips lashes rods switches the cat of nine tails and so on and so when we look at those that really difficult day and what Jesus had to go through it's really difficult for us to sit and watch that. I don't know if any of you have watched The Passion of the Christ. We uh, we went to the theater and watched that and, you know, you might have too. And it's just like, oh my gosh. You know, the how long does this guy, how long does Jesus get scourged? And they're just ripping him to shreds. Well, John 19 verse 1 says, Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. Now, when we were young kids, you know, my uh, I grew up with uh, five other brothers. And so my dad, he would buy us toys like BB guns and pop guns and whips. And so we used to have whips, believe it or not. And, you know, some of you might have used towels, wet towels to kind of, you know, flip on each other or kind of snap. And, but we had whips, and, you know, these whips, if you got hit with one of them, it would hurt. We had to be very careful with them. But this whip that Jesus had um, on him, that was, uh, that of course, Pilate, when Pilate had Jesus flogged with that lead tip whip, you know, if you can just imagine, the sting alone on a regular whip is going to sting. But with a lead tip, it's going to feel like a bullet coming at you. But uh, remember, he was pierced for a reason. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
the punishment that was that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed chorus we're talking about sins the sin issue has been dealt with once and for all and so again that's not physical healing that is the sin issue Jesus when he went to that cross folks he took away all sins in fact when God looked down at humanity he cleared the whole deck of sins from Adam to eternity Psalms 103:12 tells us as far as the east is from the west so far has he removed our sins from us now Jesus is up on the cross and we all remember the walk that he had to the cross Many people believe that he carried his own cross, but he didn't. There was another man from Cyrene. Um, Simon from Cyrene was asked to carry it for him. And I noticed in that, you know, in that story, Simon, who was asked to carry Jesus' cross, actually was standing in front of a group of people. And this symbolized mankind. So we deserved the cross. Jesus didn't. And what happened in those days is um, the Romans, they were declared justified by doing what they were doing by the people, by having people carry their own cross. And it's like God the Father says, my son don't deserve this. And that's why he had somebody else carry it. Mankind. Mankind deserved the cross, not Jesus. But after Jesus drank, he's on the cross now, and uh, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and died. Now when Jesus cries out, it is finished on the cross, the Greek word used here is tetelestai, which means to bring to a close, to complete, to fulfill. Jesus speaks in the perfect tense when he says it is finished, which is uh, very rare in the New Testament and has no English equivalent. The perfect tense is a combination of two Greek tenses, the present tense and the aorist tense. Now the aorist tense is punctual, meaning something that happens at a specific point in time or a moment. It's 2,000 plus years ago. When Jesus hung up on that cross, he was taken away the sins of mankind. Now the present tense is linear, meaning something that continues on into the future and has ongoing results and implications. And see, so even our present and future sins, when Jesus said it was finished, that means those sins are forgiven too. And so if you've ever heard that still small voice, I took that one too, or the Holy Spirit might whisper and say, he took that one too. You know, if you're, you know, confessing your sins, you might hear the Holy Spirit convict you of the righteousness of God. And that is what he did. That is conviction from the Holy Spirit. Conviction is, is going to come from the Holy Spirit um, of our righteousness and what Jesus did for us. So the combination of these two tenses in the perfect tense as used in John 19.30, which is when he says it is finished, is of overwhelming significance to the Christian. So when Jesus said it is finished or completed, what he's actually saying is it is finished and will continue to be finished. Did you see that? The forgiveness issue has been dealt with. We are totally forgiven people. In fact, I like what John 
when he was writing to the body of Christ in First uh, John chapter two verse twelve, I am writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. First John three verse five, and you know he came to take away sins. Notice that it's in the past tense. New covenant forgiveness, folks, was final and unconditional and based entirely on what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. So how do you extend forgiveness? Well, we have to know and understand the forgiveness that we've received, right? Because we can't give away something we don't have. And that means if we, we, we could have it, but we might not know or even understand this, meaning experiences for ourselves. So, of course, we have to experience this revelation of our total forgiveness, and that's why the Holy Spirit is in us, to teach us everything we need to know. I like what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4.32 when he says, Be kind to each other now, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. A great reference verse is found in John 13, 34 and 35. This is the new covenant commandment that Jesus gives the disciples. He says, you must love one another as I have loved you. By loving one another, all people will know that you are my disciples. Of course, we respond to his forgiveness and love. And of course, we're going to let him extend it through us. That's how that's going to be done. And so when it comes to extending forgiveness, remember, he has to do it. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God in you now, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So he gives us the desire to forgive people that offend us, but he has the power to do so. Remember, God does not remember our sins anymore. The writer of Hebrews 10, verse 17 and 18 says, Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds, and when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. John got the people's attention, and he, you know, this was before the cross, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. 2 Corinthians 5.19 God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself no longer counting people's sins against them. So people are no longer enemies of God. We were made friends with God through the death of Jesus. And he's no longer counting people's sins. Scripture tells us we're saved by the life of Christ is where, and that's where we're, we're headed. We're headed to the resurrection and that's how people are saved through him. In him. So, unbelievers, are they judged for their sin? And what is, what is the unpardonable sin? Well, Jesus said the unpardonable sin was that the world refuses to believe in me. And so, unbelief, of course. But the Holy Spirit is in the process of convicting the church, the body of Christ, of their righteousness in Christ. And he's in the process of convicting the world of their unpardonable sin which is unbelief. It's found in John 16, verse 8, and it says, And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and the coming judgment. You know, our unbelief before Christ judged us, not, not our behavior and performance, it was our, our belief system. You see, and remember, belief and faith are the same. They're a gift from God. 
John 3, 17 and 18. I love this story where Jesus is actually with the disciples in the room and uh, Pharisees are there, disciples are there, and he looks at the disciples and he says, look, God sent his son into the world not to judge it, but to save it through him. So there's no judgment against anyone who believes in him. And he's, a, he's, he's looking right at the disciples, of course, because they believe in him. But then he takes his, he draws his attention away from the disciples and he puts the, his attention and focus on the Pharisees, on believers. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. So you see there, unbelievers are judged because of their unbelief, not because of their behavior or lack of confession. And so what the tomb, now Jesus dies and he's, he goes to the tomb, and of course this is part of the Easter message. What happens to Jesus at the tomb and what does that symbolize? Well, it symbolizes a will going in force. Of course, the new covenant will, the dividing line of history, folks, begins at the cross. The writer of Hebrews 9, verse 16, 17 says, In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. Because a will is in force only when somebody has died, it never takes effect while the one who made it is still living. And so we know that, that when someone passes away, their will now goes in force. And that's what happened. Jesus, the new covenant will, goes in force when Jesus dies. In fact, the new covenant will made us holy, folks. Hebrews 10, verse 9 and 10 says, He sets aside the first, meaning the first covenant of law, to establish the second, which is grace, the new covenant. And by that will, this new covenant will, meaning the grace of God now, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Christ once and for all. So folks, we are holy. That means we have an identity. Our identity in Christ is lovable, set apart, holy. Holy, the Greek word for holy is agios. Hagios, the short definition, set apart or sacred. Holy has the technical meaning different from the world. You ever sense that? You ever sense that you're just a little different from the world? Okay. Hagios implies something set apart and therefore different, distinguished, distant, distinct, special to the Lord. That's why he says, you're mine. We belong to the Lord, folks. If you're in Christ, you belong to him. We belong to him. We don't belong to each other. We have no business controlling each other because he controls us with his love. You see, that's one of the reasons why the Apostle Paul is saying, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God is forgiving you. See. And so here's the, the resurrection. Now, Jesus is raised from the dead, newness of life in him. And so in John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18, of course, we have the story where <clears throat> Mary is now alone in the garden outside the tomb. And she saw two angels sitting where Jesus' body had been. Then the risen Jesus approached her. 
in the Gospel of John. And so, when he appears to her, the Gospel of John, therefore, portrays Mary Magdalene as the first apostle, the apostle sent to the apostles. Now, keep in mind what an apostle is. Okay, an apostle is someone that has witnessed the resurrection, the physical resurrection. And that's why Mary Magdalene was called the first apostle. And of course, there's a lot of people out there wonder, well, can women, can Christian women teach? Well, think about this. We are witnesses of Christ. We witness this, the life of Christ. And we use words if we must. But she was the first witness to go witness to others about the risen Christ. She went to the other disciples and she told them that he had risen. You see, so that makes her the first minister of grace and also the first apostle. Now the gospel, and remember who Mary Magdalene was, folks. She was low of the lows, like all of us were who are in Christ now. We were at the bottom of the barrel, so to speak. Okay? Mary Magdalene is, is one who had seven demons and they were casted out by Christ. Okay? Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. She did this for money to support the family. There wasn't many jobs back then for family members, so she did this for the family. But uh, the cost was very high. And she almost took her life a few times. But uh, fortunately, Jesus showed up and drove those demons out and gave her a ministry. And uh, it's just, that's why we call it good news. The gospel. Good news. He died for our sins. Ephesians 1.7 says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his Son and forgave our sins. That is, in the past tense, folks, New covenant forgiveness is in the past tense. That mean that means it has. They have been forgiven. Our sins have been forgiven. He forgave our sins, past, present, future. He was buried. Romans six, verse three and four. He was buried, but so were we. The people we were before Christ in Adam. That's what baptism symbolizes. When we go down in baptism and accept Jesus Christ, that old you in Adam, sinner, was removed supernaturally and placed in Jesus in that tomb. That's why we look at this scripture and we meditate on this and it says, Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ, Jesus, in baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. Now he was raised on the third day. Colossians 3, 3 and 4 says, For you have died, meaning the person you were in Adam, sinner, and now your life, which is Christ, the risen Christ, is hidden in him. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you too appear with him in glory. So he was raised on the third day. Since we have been united with him in his death, we also have been united with him in his resurrection. Look, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's like picking up the phone this Easter and saying, Jesus, I want to be saved. 
I want to know and understand what that means to be completely saved. I want to be a new creature. I accept you and what you've done for me and for who I am now in you. Thank you for being my life. God bless.